Coming to you from the Sunshine State, this is Create Brand Envy, a podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs and business owners discussing businesses, marketing, leadership, and best practices in this ever-changing business landscape. Every week, we'll introduce you to a different business leader that has taken their company to new heights despite the odds. Learn, engage, and thrive. This is Create Brand Envy. And now your host, President and CEO of Brand Envy, Nicole Alisea. The year is 2006. Picture me, I'm 22 years old, a young, very thin Hispanic female. I had interned at Telemundo WRMD Channel 49 when I was an advertising major at the University of South Florida, class of 2004, go Bulls. So it makes sense that my first real job out of college was as a Telemundo sales rep selling TV ads to local business owners. One of my coworkers, Velvet, Velvita, hola Velvet, <laughs> invited me to a party at her house. That was the first time I ever tried manchego cheese and prosciutto. Core memory. Somewhere in between stuffing my face and admiring her kitchen cabinets, I met Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Jeff Liss. Jeff tells me he used to work at Telemundo too, but that now he works at the number one news talk radio station in the state of Florida, News Radio 970 WFLA. He tells me that they're actually looking for a rookie account executive to join their team of veteran salespeople and that I should apply. He gives me Paul DeFazio's phone number. Paul is the sales manager. I research it. I listen to it. AM? <sighs> talk radio? Isn't that for like old people? Remember, I'm 22. I don't want to sell an old people radio station on the AM dial that sounds so crappy. I mean, who even listens to that? The day I'm supposed to meet with Paul, I accidentally walked up to the side door and someone saw me and decided to open the door for me. I tell them I have a meeting with Paul, so they point me to his office. Super odd. I walk in and Paul's not there. I sit down and I, I wait. 10 minutes later, Paul walks in, I stand up, and he goes, who are you? I introduce myself. Paul says, how did you get in here? I was waiting for you up front. I thought you were a no-show. Nope, I'm here, I say. And you've been sitting in my office this whole time, he asks. Yep, I got the job. My first week at 970 WFLA, Paul asks me to make the rounds and meet with the head of every single department so I can get to know them and what they expect from me. He hands me a list and I start setting up one-on-one -on -one meetings with everyone. It was now time to meet with Sue Trikas, the operations manager of News Radio 970 WFLA since 1996. I was excited to meet the woman in charge of everything on the programming side. I introduce myself and explain how excited I am to learn all about the different DJs and what their show is all about. She lets me finish before correcting me. Never ever say DJ. It's talk show host. They're very different. One is a disc jockey. The other one is the host of a talk show. We are a news talk radio station. There's a huge difference in the amount of prep work and execution with executing a talk show versus disc jockeying in between songs. She talked about 970 WFLA's most decorated news team. Respect respect, respect. This was the beginning of the most formative years of my professional career. 
I cherished those days as much as I don't miss them. I went from not being so sure about AM News Talk Radio to feeling so damn proud to be part of the number one news talk radio station in the state of Florida with some of the biggest talk radio personalities. No, 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 wait. The biggest talk radio personalities of our time. News and weather, top and bottom of every hour, award-winning journalist reporting on breaking news. Whenever there was an emergency or something big, this was the station that was with you 24-7, even after the lights went out. This was the radio station that you could count on to keep you informed, entertained, and enlightened. Looking back, what the entire team at 970 WFLA did was so very special. Now, on to today's interview. I am beyond thrilled to introduce today's guest. Sue Trikas was the operations manager of 970 WFLA, 620 WDAE, and the Devil Rays Radio Network from 1996 through 2006, during which time she was also the program director with immediate oversight of 970 WFLA. During her tenure, 970 WFLA was consistently in the top five for the Tampa Metro in the key demographic of 25 to 54, usually number three, and also having reached number one. Because of 970 WFLA's crushing ratings dominance, the station was also very often in the top 10 in the 18 to 34 demographic, which is unheard of for an AM news talk station. The phenomenon with younger listeners allowed 970 WFLA access to advertising that it otherwise would have had. So when I, the reason why I asked you to come over uh, and, and, and chat with me is because I'm writing a book and in the book, I am helping business owners go through the process of analyzing and evaluating their company, their business or organization. And I'm teaching them a framework that I've used to make strategic decisions of deciding how to treat a brand, how to roll forward in the market with a brand. And I have this entire section devoted to some things that I learned from you uh, during my time working at 970 WFLA. Um, one of the things that when I think back and I remember Sutrikas, the the thing that I remember the most was you sitting in meetings saying, Uh-oh. you sitting in meetings saying, no. No, we're not. No, absolutely not. How many times do I have to say this? No, nothing that makes our listeners feel old. And as a salesperson, I'm sitting there going, you (laughs) B word. I'm trying to make my sales quota here. And I have a, I have a hearing aid client that like, so wants to be here. They're ready to pay prime rate, top dollar to be on our station because it's a great station and it's it's a the perfect demographic for them and you would not let us put it on the air. So programming and sales were always butting heads with each other. Why and how did you come up with this idea of protecting the brand at that level? First of all, it's great to see you. A couple of things were at play. We were attaining a level of success that, quite frankly, allowed me as the program director to be picky. Mm -hmm. Um, If we were in the basement, if we were at the bottom of the totem pole um, in the market with ratings, I'd have had to abide by what sales 
wanted just to keep us afloat. That was not the situation. I was presenting our sales team and our upper management with a radio station, as you noted, that was consistently in the top five, 25, 54, mm-hmm. um, having usually settled in at, at about number three. So I would sit back there in that building with these other heritage stations, primarily 93.3 WFLZ, yeah. and go, you know what? They're not going to let anybody shove whatever they want down their throats. They're the mighty FLZ. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're not going to have MJ Kelly talking about Viagra. Not going to happen. So why should we on WFLA set our standards any lower than the standards that have already been set by these mega successful um, uh, FM stations in the building? I think from and a, that's where it started. Yeah, and I think prim- well, primarily ninety three three FLZ is a young person listening station it's where you're you'll you would have heard you know your britney spears i'm aging myself your lady gaga's your you know there that, you go. that's seeing, a little better yeah that's better she's <laughs> she's she's uh yeah <laughs> um that's true but they were also number 112 plus so it wasn't all 2554 and granted i mean did we have the did we have the 2554 numbers that flz had no but in terms of rank we were only two behind them right yes yes you were okay i mean so so you want to stay competitive in every area that you can and we had we had the like i said we had the ratings to back it up and 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 the reason we had the ratings to back it up is because at the end of the day every single day all day long we had the programming and the content that would satisfy our core audience which yes admittedly and understandably was a bit on the older side right and quite frankly, especially here in Florida, where everyone comes to retire, yes, twenty five fifty four should not be the gold standard. It should be thirty five sixty four. And I think over the years we've done a bit of work to raise that up, given where we live, mm-hmm. given where we operate our businesses. Agreed. Okay, but back then it was twenty five fifty four or nothing, and and we worked and we succeeded at at making that attainable and accessible. Um, while not, you know, you don't want to throw older listeners to the wind. The other thing that's interesting about older people here in Florida, they've got more money. Okay, a 64-year-old yeah. who retired a couple years early, sold their house in New Jersey for a fortune, came down here to relocate near a golf course they could right. play year-round. They've got more money to spend discretionarily than hardworking 40-year-olds do. Yep. Agreed. So the whole the whole thing was kind of cockeyed, uh, but we had to work our way through it because, as you well know, advertisers have their weird views of what is and isn't well, the right thing to purchase. And so, um, again, if you have the right content to keep your base happy, then you can start to take chances. Mm-hmm. And one of the chances that we took um, when I was running FLA was to not bring on content that would age us from an image standpoint. And and, and this will indicate my respect, actually, for salespeople. Um, given that, it, that FLA, that talk radio, is a spoken word format, mm-hmm. the ads are part of the content. 
They're not separate. Yeah, you talk, I remember learning that from you. Okay. If Rush Limbaugh's talking, 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 and you take a break and you still hear talking, 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 it's content. You know, you're not cutting right. Britney Spears off in the middle of the second stanza with, with to play a actual ad, yeah. right? Okay, um, and 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 because I respected the notion that that the ads were part of the content, well, then the ads had to play on the same level that the programming content did, and that meant, you know, you weren't going to hear our talk show hosts discuss these aging issues. So why would we talk about them in the, in the stop Got sets? It. Got it. Yeah. So, um, the way that I vote, so you made a comment earlier about advertisers have this weird way of viewing things. So like as a professional marketer and advertiser, the objective of a, of a business to advertise correctly is to place their limited advertising dollars on media vehicles that are going to have the highest density of their target audience and, I mean that quite literally density, uh, an advertiser should look for a, lar a, a large quantity and a high quality of listeners. And so at the time, I don't know, I'm not in the radio world as deeply as I was uh, before, but at the time there was roughly 30, 40 different radio stations in the market. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? That was kind of it. And the difference between all of them was the quality and the quantity of listeners that were tuning in. And so let's take a pause real quick and remember, cause we're talking back like circa 2006 and, and before. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's a, uh, it's been a while. Uh, but at that time, the lineup on 970 WFLA was AM Tampa Bay. And it started at 5am with Ted Webb, Jack Harris, and that third co-host uh they switched it around but it was sharon 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 taylor is who i installed as the co-host uh, they had different ideas once i was no longer right in management right they had they had dumb ideas after. At, <laughs> and then at nine o'clock uh it's amazing how i remember the lineup it at is nine o'clock uh you guys would start with glenbeck correct and you told me something a minute ago that i, I said what you brought glenbeck to to uh what was your story with Glenn Beck? Yeah. Uh, Bob Lasseter had been um, a fixture uh, in afternoon drive mm -hmm. in the late nineties. Um, and I needed uh, a replacement starting at the beginning of 2000. Mm -hmm. Glenn Beck was a weekend part-timer in New York. Um, was he doing FM music stuff? Well, full-time he was doing FM uh, mornings. So he was a DJ. He, he was the, <laughs> yes, he was a DJ. He was the MJ Kelly, if you will, of Hartford, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And first of all, um, I, the ratings in the afternoon were very high and I needed to keep them there. I wanted an FM sensibility. And what I mean by that, and it's hard these days to even think back this far to when news talk was not pure politics Okay. And not as toxic as it is now, mm -hmm. which is a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. Right. Um, but anyway, I wanted that, that FM morning show sensibility. Quite frankly, I had tried to talk MJ into doing an afternoon show, uh, in, in the talk, uh, lane. And he said he wasn't ready yet. So, okay. So Glenn Beck fit the bill. Um, he was, he was a very successful morning DJ 
in the top 40 format, had a little bit of experience doing news talk on weekends. Um, and so brought him in and he loved us. We loved him. And so for the first year that he was there, uh, he was just FLA and it was on in the afternoon. By the time you got the uh, hold of our, our station, um, 9-11 had happened. Yes. Uh, and that changed everything. It changed life greatly for Glenn Beck. Uh, so then we needed a, iHeart needed a national host. Okay. A clear Channel at the time um, to anchor coverage post 9-11. And Glenn was their guy. So for a while he was doing two shows a day. He was doing nine to noon nationally and three to six just on FLA, which right. eventually came right. to an end. And so, yeah, then it was just nine to noon. Yep. Nationally. Okay. So Glenn Beck, nine to noon, and then from noon to three, Rush Limbaugh. Right. And he was nationally syndicated. He, I never saw him around the station or no. anything. Did you ever work with him personally? I, I didn't work with him. I met him once very early on in his tenure when he was still building his empire. He, you know, did a multi-station yeah. tour and we were on that list. Cool. I still have the picture though. Yeah, I have a picture with Glenn Beck. <laughs> yeah, and he, he was my, wow, I got to meet Glenn Beck. Yep. <laughs> um, and then from three to six, uh, Schnitt Show. Yes. Uh, and then from seven to midnight, it was, what was that called? Like that weird show with the UFOs and. Oh, George Norrie. George Norrie. But no, he but was, that was after he 10. Was, that yeah, was overnight. He, he was, we were, we were live for a while, um, even after Schnitt, but it was a whole, it was like. Yeah, it was a like rotating, rotating door. And we couldn't, of, yeah, I, I don't people. even remember what it was. Right. The content of the station is what will attract the type of listeners, the, sure. qu the quantity and the quality of listeners that come in. So there's always a, a that's where the match is. And then when, once you start attracting those listeners, you look at, and back then, because uh, marketing has changed a lot, and I talk about it in my book. Uh, but, but back then you really focused in on the demographics. So what were the age ranges of the people? What was their household income? What was their education level? And when you looked at 970, because of the format and the content, it attracted a lot of people that were affluent, that were highly educated. Um, it did attract people that were older. Mm -hmm. So yes, I mean, it, 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 the content was good. The listenership was good. And the quality of the audience was great. It was a, I, I hate to kind of say this, but it was a very easy station to sell because there was just nothing wrong with it. That was the except, goal. Except, except for every once in a while or, you know, a lot of your talk show hosts were very controversial and, um, you know, would make polarizing statements. And so sometimes that would cause some riffs with certain types of advertisers that wanted to be very neutral in their brand. Um, I remember there were a whole host of advertisers that would attack anybody that advertised on rush. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a decision for every business to make uh, rush Limbaugh in his heyday, which is the period of time we're discussing right now um, was number one in just about every single demo. He really was. Okay. Every day, every week, every month, every year. Mm -hmm. So if you could afford to not advertise on the guy that's number one in every conceivable demo and some yep. that haven't been thought of Yep. power to you. Right. Okay. Uh, but if you want that density and you want to reach as many people as possible and get what we used to all call the biggest bang for the buck, sure. You're going to buy rush. Yes. Okay. And I agree. 
Um, and, and the prices were, were pretty steep because, and, and, and I don't think that everyone listening knows this, but you have what we call local avails and national avails. Yes. Uh, availabilities, meaning places where you can place an ad. So there may be 14, 15, 16 minutes worth of commercials mm-hmm. per hour. Yep. But the individual station spots were probably no more than seven. Okay. Which put them at an instant premium just because that's very rare real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there were national sales and there were local sales. Right. And, and that was my team. I was I was a local sales right. person. And there were network spots that took okay. up quite frankly the majority and network. So that the 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 ad space was split three ways. Yes. <laughs> so lots of luck there. So yeah, so if my little my if my local roofer company could be on there, that was a big deal. Yes, very much so. Um and and like I said, it was in that day and time, it was a big bang for the buck. Mm-hmm. You were going to pay more, but you had you had everybody listening to you yeah. from every demographic. So in my book, I talk about guarding the client experience and how important it is to make sure that you're creating, uh, you know, in your company, and your brand, and in this case, on the station, that you're creating a really good listening experience because the idea is to you know, attract people to want to listen, to have a good listening experience and to want to stay listening and just leave, leave 970 on their car dial when they get out of their car, have, you know, the radio at their desk or, you know, or the streaming at their desk be 970 and just have them just totally hooked because they're just getting such great content. And in the book, I describe how you just absolutely did not want the station to sound old. Um, I always, I always felt like it was because, who the hell wants to constantly be reminded that they're old and aging? And I mean, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, not that aging is a horrible thing, but I, I, nobody wants I mean, to be. It, re- it beats the alternative, but still, you don't want to sit around staring at yourself in the mirror, yeah. um, figuratively or, or otherwise. Um, so, yeah, that's what we did. Well, and, and here's the thing, um, truth be told. I was younger than... I'm a couple years older than Glenn, but like, let's look at the morning show because that was the driver for a long time. Um, Jack Harris is about 20 years older than I am. Uh, Ted was about 15 years older than I am. So it wasn't hard for me to see them as old, even when they really weren't. You know how you are when you're 30 something. You think yeah. anybody over 50s like I was, should be in a home in a wheelchair I, and, you know. I, I was in my 20s when I was working with you. And I remember uh, one of the first meetings I had with you, Ted had had, Ted Webb had had one, uh, like a heart attack or something. He was in the hospital. I remember you saying, let's not count on Ted for anything because we don't know what's going to happen. Okay. <laughs> All right. I got to take it from, you just hit on the bullseye. You hit on the impetus for the reason I took such a hard line. So I had already pretty much, I was keeping the, um, the ED ads off. I was keeping even gray hair things, yeah, or whatever, uh, hearing it, it, aids, anything, thank you. Anything, bone okay. density, you name it. <laughs> so anyway, so for whatever reason, and I don't remember, but I allowed this heart, because it was a prevention thing, okay? <laughs> I remember this. Right. Okay. And it's coming back to me. Go All ahead. Right. So tell it, it was, I, I, and I don't know the particulars because I never participated, but it was some kind of stress test. 
okay, virtual or I, I don't know what it was. And and you were hooked up, hooked up to these things and it would determine the like the likelihood of you having a heart attack. So Ted had been doing live spots. He had been doing endorsements for this company for like a year and he goes and has a freaking heart attack. And I'm like, that's it. No more. Never again. I was right. Upper management was wrong. Get out of my face. Leave me alone. How do you plan to explain this one away? And so that was absolutely the line in the sand. We will never have one other health related do this and you'll live forever ad on this radio station. Yeah. And, and I, no one could argue with me. I mean, yeah. Ted Webb, mm-hmm. Mr. Tampa mm-hmm. had been doing do this and you won't have a heart attack. And, and then he goes and has a heart attack. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so that sort of made my point. Yeah. Okay. But quite frankly, I mean, the real, re- I, God, I never thought about Ted having a heart attack and God bless him. He did come back and, and live to fight and laugh another day. But those sorts of ailments, anytime you mention heart, anytime you mention stroke, anytime you mention ED, hearing aids, hurricanes, yeah, um, you just think ancient. Uh, you don't think about a guy in his 50s. Right. You think about a guy in his 60s or 70s. And so those sorts of ads would compound the view that it was an old station. Right. Just by, just by virtue of being on the AM dial, it already had the stereotype that it was an old station. Exactly. Like you're exactly. Um, even then AM was, was on the decline. Um, and, and so, yeah, when you're stuck with that, you can't wish that away. That's where we were. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's where that format lives still mostly. Um, you don't need to add to it. Especially, as I said, and now I'm circling back around because I'm old. Um, we already had numbers and we were already super serving that audience. Mm-hmm. If you can super serve an audience without turning on a neon sign that says you're super serving. Yeah. 55 plus. Yeah. God bless you. Right. And we could. Doing great. Yeah. Okay. So why do we want to turn on the neon? We're old sign. Yes. With these ads. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that for me, at least from the listening experience, I could listen to 970 and like, you know, Philip Azun, I I don't know what he's currently doing, but I remember he, at that time, he was like the imaging director. He runs total traffic over there now for for iHeart. So I remember he would produce these really awesome commercials. You have to hear these. Take a listen to these two radio station imaging promos produced by Philip Azun. Last night, the government of North Korea proclaimed to the world that it had conducted a nuclear test. Nuclear test. Nuclear test. Today's claim by North Korea serves only to raise tensions. Information is your best weapon. A number of other nations that have the ability to have nuclear weapons. I think it's going to upset the whole balance of power in the region. Might decide that possibly they ought to have nuclear weapons. What will China do? The United States condemns this provocative act. News Radio 970. WFLA. It was like a nightmare. Nightmare. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's probably one of the worst things I've seen in my life. It was just kind of surreal. Devastating news. Devastating news. We hold the victims in our hearts. I'm thankful for everything that I had today, and now I'm here. We lift them up in our prayers, and we ask a loving God for times like these. 
to comfort those who are suffering today. News Radio 970. It's amazing to be here. WFLA. And stay until the very end of this episode if you want to reminisce with me. I have a couple of surprises. Well, in terms of imaging, um, we had a rule. You don't ever want to talk about or you don't want you don't want to go back more than 25, 30 years max. Okay. And so that's a sliding scale because what was 25 years ago in 2006 is not 25 years ago in, in 2023. Um, but so we used a lot of classic rock. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, again, it's so relatable for yeah. people who were in their forties yeah. in the early two thousands. That's what they all grew up on. Mm-hmm. Okay. It helped reinforce that, and I hate the word hip. I hate it with every <laughs> part of my being, okay? Um, but it did. It, it reinforced us as a hip, happening, relatable, cool. You don't have to hide that you're listening to us, okay? You can talk to your friends because they're probably listening to us too. Right. Um, and and Phil obviously played just a, a, a huge huge role in maintaining that image. It's, it's, it's a multi approach here. You've got to have everybody with their eye on the same goal, whether it's sales, whether it's, it's um, the programming of the day to day, hour to hour content. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also had a kick-ass news department Mm -hmm. and you have to remember even as late as 2006, the proliferation of, of, um, smartphones yeah and all that comes with them yeah in terms of being able to access information immediately had not really taken off yet right um and so for the vast majority of people am radio was still not only an entertainment source which was our primary goal but we were also an information hub i remember uh being on my way to appointments, this is back when, oh, this is back when GPSs looked like those little TV, like those long, big oh my TV gosh, things that yeah. you would like suction to your dashboard. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm actually, I can date myself even further. I used to print out MapQuest directions to get to places. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I'd be driving, looking at this, reading this piece of paper. Absolutely. <laughs> my daughter's going to be like, what are you talking about? I'm with you. <laughs> yep. So I re- And that was high tech. Yeah. Yeah. That was very sophisticated. Mm -hmm. So I remember leaving the station to go to a business meeting and I remember listening to 970, just waiting for that quarter hour because I knew every quarter hour I would get the news updates. And that was my way of knowing which roads to avoid so I wouldn't get stuck in a big traffic jam. Right Now, just like you coming over here, I was like, just do Google Google Maps because, you know, they'll give you a detour if there's traffic. It's live. It's perfect. I was thinking driving over here and I, I was not in sales cause I would have flamed out in about five minutes if I had to be nice to people all day. Um, but I don't know how you guys in sales before Google maps, I don't know how you ever found your way to appointments. I really don't. Okay. And I have to have the volume on and Siri telling me because I need glasses to see the phone and I can't drive with glasses on. That's how old I am. So I have to have her telling me I'm going to turn right in a quarter mile. I mean, I used to know Tampa like the back of my hand. I remember when I met my husband, um, he he would try to like, you know, take me out to, to dinners, you know, nice dinners and kind of impress me and stuff. And 
he would always fail because he would be like, oh, you know, I got reservations at Biblos. I, I bet you've never been there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> like, that was my job. Like, I, I had gone to every restaurant, every, you know, um, it just I, I would just I would put so many miles on my car. Uh, and I can tell you that's a young person's job. It is. It was a lot of work, especially and, in the heat down here. And I don't know if it, I don't know what what it was or or what, but I felt like I had to look very pretty. I think it was because of uh, my sales role. I just I needed to be attractive, and I remember taking like two hours to get ready in the morning, straightening my hair, doing and my then makeup. You'd go out and it's ninety five degrees, and I would and- <laughs> I would put on these high heels and you know this really nice. Uh, work clothes that had always been dry cleaned because, you know, God forbid I looked cheap. I just couldn't mm-hmm. look cheap, you know, right. that's, you don't make a sale like that. And yeah. And I would remember, I remember walking through construction sites in high heels, um, walking around warehouses, doing tours and pretending like my feet didn't hurt, pretending like I was fine. And I remember coming home from my very long work day. I didn't want to talk to anybody because I had spent all day talking to people either on the phone because we had to make a lot of phone calls. We had to, and then I would go in front of a client. I had to present and pitch my proposal, whatever. And I remember coming home. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And I would take off my my high heels and I would stick my feet in the the, the bathroom sink with hot water and I would massage them because they were in so much pain from being in those high heels all day long. See, and I was in jeans and sneakers the whole time. There's, there's no way like today I'm 40 now. There's no way. Well, I don't have to, (laughs) (laughs) if I had to, maybe I would, I would submit myself to it, but that was, that was pretty brutal, grueling outside sales work. But, um, but yeah. And then, so I would finally find a good lead, come back and you'd be like, no, absolutely not. So, um, and yet here you seek me out to speak to me because all these years later, <laughs> because all these, because I've had many years to reflect on those brand standards that you created for 970 and to reflect on and to be able to see, I mean, and I'm, I, and I'm going to say this with a lot of, with an, with an ounce of caution, because you're right. There's a lot of things going a lot of things have to be working at the same time for a radio station like 970 to be successful. But I think after they let you go and they started accepting, cause I remember they started selling the, Oh my God, they start, they started doing a uh, brokered, like selling out the time on the weekends. Mm-hmm. I remember I knew that was a mistake because so just brokered airtime, just for those who aren't aware um, is when you just, purchase an hour from uh, your local radio station. So if I wanted to have this podcast, let's say that I wanted to broadcast it uh, every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. on 970, I would contact the station and if it's for sale, you know, but back then when you were in charge, they would never. So tell me about that. Like, I remember that was off limits. Absolutely not. No, never. Um, It was an area that you, you have to keep in mind, it was an era where program directors still had a lot of power. There's not a program director in this market who could make the stands that I did and others did in the 90s and early 2000s and still live to talk about it. It just doesn't happen anymore. Money is king. Immediate money is king. Uh, There is no long-term vision. Okay. And that's why you're here. Keep going. Corporations. And, I, you know, I've not done much outside of radio. It's what I know. 
Um, but if you don't meet current budget goals, you're not going to be around next year to attack that. Um, and, and the worst thing is, and we see this every few months, it is the, the saddest thing I see in the industry I, I built a career on. They are firing people left and right. It is not a one-time thing. It is one bloodbath after another. It's not just iHeart. It's Beasley. It's, I'm, I'm sure, the other couple that are, are still big. So what happens is, let's say you shave off a million dollars worth of salaries across a couple of uh, markets. That immediately drops to the bottom line. So that savings does not help you at all with next year's budget. Okay? Because it's gone. It's just gone. And and so it's becoming more and more difficult, um, especially in a day and age when terrestrial radio is not the dominant audio factor that it used to be. Um it's becoming more and more difficult to make those sales, okay? And you still have to have salespeople who are willing to walk in high heels across muddy fields, uh, and they're coming home with a lot more rejection probably than you had. Um, and, uh, and we have a lot more options to make money online well, now. That, that's the thing. Um, I'll tell you something that, that's going on right now, and, and, and Congress may find a way to stop it, but this is so disturbing to me. Starting in 2025, uh, BMW, Tesla... And Ford, the Ford Motor Company, are all going to drop AM radios from their cars. Nicole's mouth just like dropped open. This is going to be the death knell. This is going to be the final nail in the coffin for for uh, news talk radio. I wholeheartedly agree. Okay. Um, you would know probably better than I even the percentage of use of in-car in listening is Huge. ginormous. Okay. Always was. Um, and it's not a political statement. A lot of a lot of like wacko far right conservatives thought it was a conspiracy to silence the far right whack, far right uh, talk shows. It's not. These radios weigh a lot. OK. Um, and they're expensive. And that's what it's the same as, you know, you can't buy a car. You can't buy a car with a cassette deck in it anymore. Right. Or an, or even a mine doesn't have a CD player. There you go. No CD player. Yeah. No eight tracks. <laughs> What's that? I've heard of those. I've actually, I don't think I've seen one. <laughs> um, but, but those were all replaced by, by other delivery systems exactly. that would deliver the same content. Yes. This is not, this right. is, this is eliminating. Right. What was, you know, the, the preeminent and, and singular radio uh, means of transmission for decades and decades and was is still very important. The only way that this is going to get stopped is if Congress can um, agree on the fact that AM radio is also a major emergency yes, I was information just about that. delivery system. Can you describe the difference between uh, AM and FM? Amplitude module and frequency module, no? One's vertical and one's horizontal. It's that simple. Okay. What does that mean? Uh, the reason like why you can't hear AM radio a good deal of the time when you're in a big city with tall buildings is because the radio waves are going sideways okay. and, and literally go boing when they hit a building and you can't hear it because of that. Okay. Um, 
FM sounds a lot cleaner. It's sort of like the difference between a record and a CD, where okay. with the record you hear all the... Yes, okay, which I miss. Okay, it added something to it. And and, and the um, CDs, which are digital, are, are clean. Now, neither one, neither AM or FM is digital. So you're going to have... You're going to have problems with both, but what what happened over time when FM came into being and came into prominence starting in the 1960s, and I was a little kid, so don't stare at me like I'm supposed to know this stuff, okay? But that's where music on the radio really picked up uh, because you could have different formats. You could have niche formats appealing. You know, you could have jazz, you could have rock, you could have easy listening, you could have classical um, and it sounded better yeah. on the FM band than it did on the AM band. Um, and that's why talk radio never much took off on major FM signals. Sure. Um, there are some secondary tertiary FM signals within a cluster that, that operators don't know what to do with, so they'll throw talk on that. Mm -hmm. But by and large, it's an AM thing because the sound is not as important when you're talking as it is when you've got... You got music and all music this. Music and orchestras and things. singers. Yeah. yeah. So so that's basically it in a nutshell. And then just perceptually, again, we get into content. Uh, music tends to evoke images of younger people more than talking does. Yeah. All right. So FM, by virtue of the popularity of music, mm -hmm. uh, by virtue of the fact that it sounds a little bit better, yeah. by virtue of the fact that even if you do listen to AM, you typically only listen to one station. Okay. Right. Um, and it's usually, in, in the old days, it wasn't even for talk. It was for whoever was carrying the Buccaneers or, or whatever city you were in right. and whatever franchise. Um, FM, you've probably got five presets, mm -hmm. maybe six. Mm-hmm. Okay, that you regularly buzz up and down on. Right. So it's going to live longer. Yeah. They also don't play as many commercials. Okay, which again for them is not part of the sound of what they do, which is why they limit the number of spots that they play. But nonetheless, you're going to get these longer periods of straight content. Right. desired content than you ever are on, on an AM And that was station. the selling point for uh, 970 or at least uh, on the AM dial. You know, the I think the differentiator between the content that you were listening to and the ads was very stark. Like you could, you know, so you, you would, listeners would tune away with talk. Like, like you said earlier, you know, there was talk, talk, talk was the content and then the ads were talk, talk, talk. So it was just easier for you to stay, just there, stay there and just keep listening because right. it was all the same the same tone. And it also increased uh, the degree to which you were listening to the ads. Um, you know, if you were listening intently to what Glenn Beck or Lionel or whoever was, was, was talking about, your ears are already turned up when the commercials come on. Okay. And, and, and so the advertisers had a better shot of having the audience stick around as opposed to on FM where it's like, Oh, you yeah. know, it's very jarring. And, yeah. and the first instinct is to push the button and find a station that's not in a commercial break. What? Okay. So I know a lot of people opposed and, and you know, your, your strong beliefs and everything. I think you were one of them. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, it affected my li livelihood, of mm -hmm. course. But like I said, in, in retrospect, looking back, I saw how well you protected and guarded that brand. And, um, you know, like, like, like I mentioned, they, you know, started selling off, uh, 
weekend uh, brokered airtime on 970. Um, they I started, sold the station or the, the the studio name. Yeah, they still. Yeah, yes, yes. And uh, you know, again, it's just a way to make money. But it, but they have to. I, I and I always think and preach. You have to guard the client experience. You mm-hmm. have to guard that listener's experience. Here, it's it's a building block game. Uh, and you came in, quite frankly, the reason why you got shut down so often by me was because when you got there, we already had our system in place mm-hmm. and, and weren't making too many exceptions. So what happened originally is that y- you have to give your core audience what it wants. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of my tenure, we were making that shift from just appealing and just programming to our core audience and then watching the level of success there rise to the point where we could start taking chances. Those chances being trying to extend out typically in our case to a younger demographic without jeopardizing the core demographic. Mm -hmm. And that's what we were able to do. And that's where it came in so handy that see, we didn't have to change the bulk of our content. What we did have to change was the tone of the advertising and promotion. Mm -hmm. That was our next level. We'd already built a solid, solid base. The concrete was dry. We were humming on all eight cylinders. What can we do next? Let's clean up the advertising. Let's clean up the imaging and have it pointed in the same direction where we want to go. What direction did you want to go? Younger. And how, okay. And how did you come up? You said the, the, you know, things were great. The foundation was set. And how did you decide what content needed to be in there in order for it to be a really solid prime well, time? Well, as I say, first of all, I was in the demographics. So part of it was what was I interested in? Okay. Okay. Now, a couple of things that I take no credit for. Uh, first and foremost, Rush Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. Rush Limbaugh simultaneously, and not all at the same time, but over a couple of decades, saved the format and destroyed the format mm-hmm. single-handedly. He, he saved the format back in the late 80s when he first became a national entity mm-hmm. because, yes, he was political, but first and foremost, he was entertaining. He was funny. He was appointment radio. Okay. Okay. Uh, I... I I don't even know if I can make that claim about anybody else in talk radio, but Mm -hmm. at noon, your ear was, let's say something huge happened the night before. It doesn't even matter what. You wanted to tune in at noon to see what Rush Limbaugh thought about it. Because he was entertaining. Yeah. Informative, but entertaining. Yes. Okay. And didn't take himself so damn seriously for crying out loud. I mean, rest his soul, but I don't know what the hell he was thinking towards the end of his life. Anyway. So I give him all the credit in the world, though, for for resuscitating and and just exploding the talk radio format in the late 80s and and throughout the 90s, certainly. Uh, Bill Clinton was elected in 92, took office in 93. And 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 while there was a love hate relationship there between he and Glenn or excuse me, he and Rush, um, Rush Limbaugh would not have been the seismic hit that he was if it weren't for the fact that he was a conservative able to face off every single day with what became a two-term Democrat president in Bill Clinton, who then got involved in the screwiest scandal 
um, up until <laughs> up until a few years ago. Okay. And, and so to be able to talk about all of that kind of weird stuff on the radio in the, in the mid to late nineties was unheard of. Um, and, and Rush just did it so artfully. I mean, he was funny and none of it was too derisive. None of it was too, um, insightful in terms of violence. I don't think, you know, I don't think Bill Clinton was getting death threats because of Rush Limbaugh. Right. Do you know what I mean? So there was a line there or a level there that kept it in the entertainment realm while informing you of today's events. So Rush was a huge, huge force multiplier for talk radio. Specific to WFLA, um, we had the privilege, we had the honor of having market giants workforce. Um, Jack Harris was originally stolen from Q105 to be part of the FLZ Three Little Pigs morning show, which ultimately destroyed Q105, where MJ now does a show, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> um, and, and then Jack quickly became part of the mornings on WFLA. And I remember, my God, the first time I met him, he had just come over from Q105 and I actually called him Mr. Harris. I was like awestruck. I mean, it, it might as well have been Ryan Gosling. I don't right, know. Right, okay. Right, right, right. It, it was like, Oh my God, I'm working with Jack Harris. Oh my God. Okay. Ted Webb, he was doing sports mm-hmm. in the evenings. Very well known throughout the market. Um, I miss him dearly. Anyway, um, we paired him with the morning show and he was for as long as he worked there. Ted Webb was the secret sauce of that radio station. Ted Webb is how you knew you were listening to a show in Tampa Mm -hmm. and not St. Louis or Albuquerque. Right. You know, there was nothing that was not unique about him. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he, more than any other person, gave that station its its local identity. Um, and that engenders so much loyalty right there. And yeah. then uh, particularly with the things that, that we had to deal with, not on a daily basis, but that we came to be known for, primarily our, our hurricane coverage. Yes, I remember. Okay. You're basically, everybody... Not, you know, the, the TV guys all have it down. They do, TV guys all do a pretty good job. Okay. There were a couple other people who tried in our early days to compete with us on radio who, after one or two trials, said, the hell with this. They're, they've got this locked up. So to be able to deliver that kind of information, to be able to be heard by people who trust you already mm-hmm. is gold. You can't manufacture that. But it's because Ted had been in the market forever. Jack had been in the market forever. And and so people would flock to us, not only because we did a good job of it, but because we were comforting. And uh, Jack and Ted both did an excellent job being out in the community, forming local ties, being, you know, speakers at events. You know, that's something that's technically not part of the job. No. 
but 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 it li- but it literally directly affects I think the okay. success of the station because I'll give of you those qu- relationships yeah. that are built. Quick anecdote about that. It had to be 30 years ago. I was going to some event with Jack. Um, we parked. We got out of the car. The the Our tent was already set up, not even 100 yards, not even a football field away. It took us over a half hour to get there because everybody knew him. Everybody wanted to shake hands with him. And to his credit, he, he was as... Cheerful and friendly with yeah. the last person as he was with the first yes. person. And I used to say he was a walking billboard for the radio station. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's and that and that's the God's honest truth. Flash forward 30 years. I think it was two three uh Gasparillas ago. And I was there at uh, WFLA's VIP tent and and Jack had moved to the front of our lot, which is a, a a fenced off area right at the street on, on Bayshore. And he's just watching and catching beads and stuff. The next thing you know, people aren't throwing just one or two beads at him. They're throwing whole bags of beads at him. Oh my God. The mayor walks up. The former mayor walks up. Half of the crew pirate people. Walk, everybody knew this man. He was almost 80 years old at the time. Yeah. Had just as much charisma just as much magnetism, literally, as he'd had 30 years ago, and I'm sure 40 years ago, but I didn't know him then. Um, so so, the, so that was the other thing. Um, Glenn Beck was a breath of fresh air. There, there had been no one like him. And on, on um, 9-11, and he was on the air all day. And he was on the air bawling his eyes out a good deal of the time about that day. I'm sorry, people don't forget that. I mean, 9-11 was horrific enough, and and we at least, most people in the Tampa Bay area had some distance, both literal and figuratively, from the event. But still, it was just, it was, you horrible. know, mind-bending and horrible and soul-destroying. And here's this guy that they hear most days yucking it up, bawling his eyes out. Um, that bonds you. It bonds the radio station. And I, I would not normally talk about it in such stark terms, but we're talking about how you build, yeah, you know, brand loyalty. Right. It's by being real. Yeah. It's by being real. It's by meeting the moment and it's by meeting your listeners expectations. Okay. And the, the night of nine 11 or the day after nine 11, if you had been listening to the radio and you're asking your friends, if you would listen to the radio, I don't care if you're a 20 year old, whose mom called you and said, turn on FLA, or if you're a 40-year-old talking to a 50-year-old co-worker, you're going to say, did you hear Glenn Beck yesterday? Maybe not the first thing, because there was obviously other far more gripping aspects of this uh, and, and more grisly aspects of this. But at some point, it's going to turn to who were you listening to, who were you watching, what it... Yeah. Okay. I, everybody remembers what they were doing that right. day. Everybody has a little mental clip, mm-hmm. I think. And and part of the secret too is to be able to paint a visual mental picture um, in in a in a format or a, uh, a a means of communication that isn't visual. Right. Okay, but because we leave it to you to make your own visual imprint, a lot of times that's more powerful. Of course. It's the difference between, I think, reading a book or watching a movie. There you go. There you go. Yeah. 
Perfect. Um, and so that's how we did it. You have to be ready. You have to, you have to do, you have to put your best foot forward. And we did that with the talent that we hired. Mm -hmm. Okay. We did that with the other things that we did, such as traffic on the tens. Um, and as you said, there was news every 15 minutes in the mornings. Um, news and weather together. And we branded all these things. I mean, we yeah. said on the air, traffic on the tens, news and weather together. Um, news every 15 minutes. You're consistent with yes. calling it what it okay. was. Um, and, and we gave people reasons to tune back in. Yeah. Okay. Even if they only came in to see whether or not uh, uh, the Gandhi bridge was backed up. Yeah. Okay. Listeners knew then what they'd, to expect. They'd, then they'd go listen to some tunes, but then they'd come back because they knew they could get another traffic report in 10 minutes or another weather report at the top and bottom of the hour or whatever right. it was. Because you guys would say that, you know, news and weather at the top and bottom of every hour. Right. So you were kind of like promoting, right. hey, this is what you can expect from sure. us. And this we, did, and we didn't waste for. 30 seconds of your life with some stupid clever that we thought was clever but wasn't promo. We'd just say flat out news and weather together, top and bottom of every hour. That's all you need to know. Right. So keep it succinct. Right. And then get right back to whatever you're doing. So that's kind of. That's the secret the, sauce. That, how that's you, the secret how sauce. You build an incredibly successful news talk radio station. Yep. You start at the bottom. You make sure that nothing can knock that out from under itself. And then you keep going. What do you think is the future for radio AM, AM talk radio? You just mentioned about you know, them knocking I'd out the to, AM I'd dial. love to say that I think it's, you know, trucking along. Unfortunately, I don't. And that's got nothing to do with the fact that I know I'm just, yeah, no, I'm just, of course on, not. no, things are happening all around you us. Know, I, I'm on the periphery of it. Yeah. I, I, one of the jobs I do, the main job I do is produce, uh, the nationally syndicated now, um, Schnitt show. Yes. Um, Todd Schnitt is of course, MJ Kelly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but it is. But now it's not. Is it on nine seventy still? No. Where is it on? Ten ten. Okay. On Beasley. Okay. Okay. Ten ten a.m. Yes. Okay. Um, in twenty twenty, and I, I think it debuted in October of twenty twenty was the rebirth of the MJ Morning Show, mm -hmm. and it's on Beasley. So we just took the AM show. Okay. The talk show over mm -hmm. there as well. Um, he doesn't. I go in for it. He does not. So he and I FaceTime. He's got a home studio. Um, he's still in New York. No, he's, he's back here. Oh, okay. He's, he lives in South Tampa. Okay. Um, the kids are pretty much grown. Um, but he and Michelle still live, uh, in, in South Tampa. And so anyway, so he goes in for the morning show. Um, and then in the afternoons, he's got his own setup at home and I go over to the station and we FaceTime our part of it, you know, so it's, it's, it's like we're sitting in same room together with FaceTime. And, and what's your, your role? I remember watching Ted Webb uh, prep for show or he would show me like how he would just kind of like, you know, read the news and like copy and paste, you know, some headlines and just have some talking points. Um, what does, what is your role as the producer? How, how do you guys collaborate on what actually ends up on the air? Um, first of all, we can finish each other's sentences at this point. Again, I've been, it, it, it's, it's been a complete circle. I hired MJ to do talk as, as Schnitt right at the beginning of 2002. Yeah. He, he wasn't on FLA in 2001. I was thinking 9-11, but anyway. Um, so yeah, January of 02, he started and I was his boss. And then he, 
when I got let go, he hired me back as his producer. So, so I've been doing that since the beginning of 2007. So it's been, it's been a long ride. Um, and so I get up every morning. He's already up cause he's doing the morning show, but I get it. And, but he's got a local focus for that. Um, I've got to have a national focus. Um, I watch everything I can read everything I can decide what the hottest stuff is. Um, figure out what his point of view would be. I don't even have to call him. It's very few, very, very few days do we ever communicate before the show starts. Interesting. Wow. So you guys go live with a national show and you haven't even touched base. You just kind of like, let's do this. Yep. I know what, what I know what, I know what he <laughs> likes um, in terms of content. Um, and I'm sort of, I provide the tent poles and then he provides the other things that he's interested what in. What do you mean that, by tent poles? On any given day, there's stories you have to do. Okay. Whether it's Trump being indicted. Okay. <laughs> or, or whatever. Okay. Um, something happens in Ukraine, something big happens in Congress. Um, Nikki Haley throws her hat in the ring. Mike Pence testifies before a grand jury, whatever. Those are the tent poles. Okay. But all of those have the theme of being political. Right. Most of well, they're just the ones I can think of sitting here on a Saturday afternoon. Um, sometimes they're not, it's whatever the big stories are. Gotcha. Okay. It's more about entertainment. What's entertaining. Right. Well, and even if it's political, he does it in an entertaining fashion. Like right, Glenn, right, 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 li right. like, like Glenn used to do and like Rush used to do. Right, right, right. Schnitz still doing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, which is what sets us apart. So anyway, so, um, so I do, I do the heavy lifting research on the stories that I know we have to do because mm -hmm. it's a pain in the ass. So I do that for him. Okay. There's always, he's got three hours of, of show. There's always other things and he's going to be more interested in what's happening with a certain jet series at Boeing or scuba diving or his latest, um, bolognese recipe. Um, seriously, I mean, he's, he's a tremendous cook, tremendous cook. And Have you eaten his food? Oh yeah. Is it good? And I'm still here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> My husband and I have this joke where he, he's always joking that I'm trying to poison him. And I'm like, I know he does <laughs> tremendous um, Asian stuff. They just had friends over a couple weekends ago where they did um, a big poke bowl station yeah. and had, you know, three different kinds of fish and probably 10 different kinds of diced vegetables and that kind of thing. Uh, he's a tremendous pasta. One of my memories of MJ um, is he came up to my desk to talk to me about a, uh, an endorsement opportunity that I brought to him. And he pointed at my oatmeal and he said, what the hell is that? <laughs> and I said, my breakfast. And he goes, it looks like vomit. <laughs> Ever the charmer. I was like, how can I help you? <laughs> and a part of me is like, oh, MJ came to talk to me. Oh my God. And another part of me is like, he like he has like no manners. Like you just you don't he, say that about no, his food. He has no filter. But no, he, he he's he's improving with age though. But like um I had COVID at the end of twenty twenty and I was so ticked off. We had just moved to Beasley and I actually did get it, we're pretty sure, from a guy that shares my little bitty studio. Mm-hmm. Cause he also got it at the same time. But anyway, this is pre vaccine. I was sicker than a 
dog. If you remember to how scary it was. Yes. Back uh, then. So anyway, I had it, I had it recently and I told, and I sent a letter to Maria who works with me. I was like, in case I die, I mean, I might, I knew intellectually that I probably wasn't going to die, but this deep seated fear inside of me was like, the plague. Yes. I'm dead. Yes. I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to be dead in one week. Oh my <laughs> God. Because you read all these stories right. that of like, oh, so-and-so was perfectly fine on Monday and Tuesday and the next week they were being buried because they got COVID. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, well, you can't the, help but go the there. Weird, but yeah. The weird thing was, so again, this is like the original strain that was killing yeah. thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the U.S. I actually knew what turned out to be the first person who died in Pasco County. I had had dinner with her six weeks earlier. Oh my God. Okay. And she died in um, March of 2020. So when, when, you know, she was in the hospital, they didn't even know what to do for her. Right. So yeah, it was scary as hell. But anyway, my point being this, <laughs> bring this back around. So I was sicker than a dog for two weeks. And even when I couldn't do anything for the show, he'd make me FaceTime with him so he could keep an eye on me for three hours. Aww. You know, it was, and I'm like, do I really want to be seen? Look, I was at death's door almost yeah. literally. He was but worried anyway, about you. Yeah. And, and so then th that was, that was, um, that was early November by Thanksgiving, three, four weeks later, I'm Okay. And I'm obviously have don't, I'm not contagious anymore. And he's like, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And I said, I hadn't really thought about it. And he's like, well, come over. We'll make you a, a basket or whatever. So I go over and he's like, he yells from the driver, roll down your window. So I roll down the window. He comes out with his pool skimmer, you know, like, Oh 12 foot with a bag hanging off the end of it. <laughs> and walks up to my car with this 12 foot pool skimmer and a bag. He's like, just take the bag. Wow. Okay. That's, <laughs> so that's, that's him. That's yeah. That's the kind of stuff. That's so funny. You know, and he's not laughing about it. Yeah. He's no, we like, were all terrified. I mean, we I, was, were, I was disinfecting my groceries and everything. Yeah. And at oh, some, yeah. At some point I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this. If I die, I die. But this is like too much. I just can't. I was, was down. Like I was down with the masks. I was down with the hand washing, but I was not going to get undressed at my front door. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. sorry. Just yeah. not, not happening. Yeah. But anyway, but that's the kind of guy he is. And then, and then got probably just six months ago, I was off doing something and he called me and I was so stuffed up and he's like, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know. I feel like crap. And he's like, well, you need to take a test right now. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm at Dunkin' Donuts. I don't carry tests with me. Okay. He's like, well, I was at, I was, I was at uh, Einstein bagel. He's like, well, take your damn bagel outside. He said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. So he shows up with a COVID test in the Einstein bagel parking lot, okay, in oh, the middle of a Saturday afternoon and stands there while I do it to make sure I don't have COVID. Point at moral of my story, underneath it all, he's a very, very sweet guy. Yeah. He just has a funny way of showing it. Yes, <laughs> I know, I know. 
But I mean, I think, um, but that's how well we know each other too. Getting back to how I, I, I help him prep the show. I just, I know what he wants. Yeah. I know how he wants it delivered. He gets upset if my font size changes. Okay. Or he gets upset if it's not aerial, if I do some other. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, from doing voiceovers, I can certainly relate with that. You know, I, I have to, I take whatever is given to me and I, I make it a certain font size and I almost always pick Arial. It's like the best, it really is like the best, um, font to read quickly. I think that's the same font that they use like on the sign you're you're driving. Oh, is it? I never, I'm pretty sure it is. Do you do all caps when you're doing your voiceover? No. Okay. That is, that's something. So that all caps thing was something that I learned with you guys at 970. And I remember the copywriter would give us copy like that. And I had that quote unquote bad habit of writing copy in all caps for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then I eventually dropped it. What, what is that? I don't know. He loves all cap. And what I do is if I've got a quote from somebody then I do lowercase so that he knows it's an actual quote. Okay. Cause if you just italicize, sometimes the difference oh, no, is no, 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 it's no. not enough difference. Yeah. 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 No, but I mean, I don't know why they, everything was done in all caps. So if, if, if you're listening and you happen to know, please email me and tell me why, because that was something that I just, people just did it. And so I just did it and I never really questioned it. Like, okay, copies all caps. Uh, but as you know, and now if you write anything all caps, it, it means that you're shouting supposedly, I suppose. Right. But, right. um, but yeah, no, I stopped doing that. But yeah, um, yeah, you get, you get picky about stuff like that. And I don't care because it actually looks like I wrote more because the capital letters are fatter somehow. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for um, uh, guarding, you know, the 970 brand the way that you did for the time that you were there while we were there together. I loved that radio station. I know you did. I loved it. I can't even turn it on now because it bears no resemblance to to what we used to do. You know, um, I remember... With the um, Atlanta Olympic bombing in 96, 98, whenever that was, um, happened at like one in the morning on a Friday night. I was drunk off my ass, still went in there, and we went live at, at three in the morning with my bomb experts, our local terrorism experts, and we were we were on for till like noon doing that uh, when Princess Diana how did you died. Find, how did you quickly find bomb experts? Um, cause I had produced AM Tampa Bay for a long time. So you have con- I, all these I, contacts. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's just not done that way anymore. They'll, th- they either ignore events completely or they throw up a network and there's like no, no again, local. there's nothing to bond to. Yeah. I remember feeling and feeling like that and, and mentioning stuff like that to Ted that, um, that 970 was missing a local component that mm-hmm. the only local component it had was the morning show and everything else was totally syndicated. Well, that's not true. Um, on the weekends we had like lifestyle shows like about grilling and the gardening guys. You remember the gardening guys? Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> what we had though, the other component that kept us local all day was we had, we had the news, news. and traffic mm-hmm. and weather. And I used to tell the news department because we met every day. I'm like, you guys are what keep this radio station local from 9 p.m. till or 9 a.m. till 5 a.m. the next day. Okay. Um, and that's why for most of the time we led local. We did not do a network cast and then go to local news. We did the local stuff first and then the national. 
to give it to give the local stuff priority. Um, I have a question. You you said we had a an outstanding news team. I remember they had a lot of awards on the wall. They had won a lot of Associated Press awards, right? If I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly, and AP, UPI. Yep. So how how did that come about? Is that something that you guys had to apply for? Is that something that kind of comes to you? There's a for each each company's um, um, awards, whether UPI or the um, AP or whoever. Okay. There were about four different ones. They all had submission dates. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they gave you a couple probably six weeks to submit your work from a certain period of time. Okay. So um, like your coverage of nine 11, for example. Right. And then they have all these, di- they have, they have spot news. They have newscast under five minutes, newscast over five minutes. Um, um, series, enterprise, they had different you know, categories, different categories. And so the news people themselves, whether it was, you know, Brian Brewer or Sharon Parker, who, who is just one of the most phenomenal reporters I've ever known. Uh, Don Richards was the news director, Steve, um, Steve Hall, Martin Giles, um, who were all on board. They would, they saved their own work. they, they knew these things came around every year and they would make their own submissions. And yeah, we had, we had two walls full of of awards. And as you were their leader, Mm -hmm. as their leader, um, did you do anything special to like encourage, motivate them, empower them? Or did they pretty much, you know, run themselves or how, how did, what was your leadership approach with getting the news team to be the quality that it was? Um, first of all, it was just my gratitude to them and I would do whatever I could within my power, which unfortunately didn't include giving them the raises they deserved on a regular basis. But anyway, we would get to, I had, I had a daily editorial meeting uh, and it was myself and the news director and if whoever else wanted to attend. And I didn't, I did it at like eight 30 so that it wasn't too early, but I didn't want to let the day get away from us. And, and they'd come pitch the, the, uh, Simon editor would tell me what he had on tap and who he was assigning it to. If I liked it, fine. If I thought we needed to do this instead of that, or this on top of that, um, then I would, I would suggest that, um, sometimes more than suggest. Um, and if a news person, if, if a reporter came in and said, this is going on and we don't have this covered, I'd be like, go just get in your car and go. So that's how we, we just worked it out. Um, how did you, did you have any kind of criteria to decide what was like news that you wanted to cover and what was, you know, did you have, was there any criteria in your brain that you kind of went through like this listening, you were hearing the story? Cause I do have, I have a specific memory of Jeff Fisher um, at a meeting asking, does anybody think, do, do we care about, um, what was it? That, that stupid show, The Voice or the America's Got Talent. There was like a, a one of those American reality Idol. shows, Idol. Ameri- he goes, do, do we, do people still care about American Idol? Do we, you know, and I remember thinking, is he just guessing what people are going to like or not? I mean, who makes these decisions? How, how are these decisions made? Um, was I at that meeting? Do you remember if I was there? Cause I don't, I don't remember that. I think after you were let go, I think he okay. took your place in the interim. Right. And, Cause he got fired too. Not of too course. soon. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> gets fired from there. Yes, pretty much. Anybody who's got any uh, smarts does. Um, anyway, part of it's intuitive. 
Okay. Part of it, again, is you're working with a collection of people basically who are in the demo you're trying to attract. Okay. Um, and, and again, there are these tentpole things. There are things you have to cover. Okay. But you don't have to give your entire newscast over to a city council meeting. Okay. And we got to a point where we didn't cover them all in person if there wasn't something on the agenda that was important. How do you decide okay. what's important? If it's interesting. What what makes something interesting or not? If you're interested in it. Isn't that highly subjective, though? Yes. Um, and you have to be when you've got a five-minute newscast with 90 seconds worth of spots in it. You, it's impossible not to be subjective. Now, subjective can be as as benign as what I'm describing, mm -hmm. which is basically just deciding what can fit into a three-and-a-half-minute package. Okay. It can be as nefarious as leaning in one direction or yeah. another. And Which, that's, that's not the kind of, sub whoops, sorry, microphone. <laughs> uh, that's not the kind of subjective I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Subjectively speaking, though, you've got to pare down this huge universe of news into three and a half minutes, and it's not all going to get in there. So it's not all going to get equal treatment. Something's going to be the lead story. Something's going to be the kicker, usually something kind of humorous. Okay. You, you are aware of, um, I and I, I don't mean to be in, in <laughs> I'm like <laughs> treading lightly, but like, you know, what gets said in the news, what people listen and are exposed to, it affects them. It affects their worldview. That's a huge responsibility. Did, did, did that ever when you were making those decisions, did it ever cross your mind like how what you guys were broadcasting or putting out there was going to influence the world in any way? Mm -hmm. um, sure. And you try to be fair. Okay. Um, what I was concerned more about as the years went on, though, those exact same criteria, but my focus of my concern was not on what we were doing in the news, but it's it was the direction that the talk shows were taking. Okay, um, as Glenn and Rush both got less and less humorous, less and less entertaining, and more and more strident and stringent in their in their political views, and not even I'm not even ascribing value or legitimacy to their views. Their views are their own, and sure, who, who everybody's everybody's okay. entitled to it. yeah. But it was just the degree to which they became so intransigent about looking around, lightening up, going somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And just, you, you mentioned the word rabbit hole um, a few minutes ago. They started going down them and never coming back up. Okay. Um, and one of them's gone and one of them still is, is quite guilty of that. Mm-hmm. And it, and it pains me to say that because um, talk radio could still be, it may be in its waning days because of, of the uh, lack of familiarity even ahead of the disappearance of AM radio. But, but to choose to be as dark and divisive as talk radio has become is... is something that I saw the very beginnings of at the end of my tenure. And so, yeah, that concerned me more than what we were doing on our local newscast, which I knew 
did not have an agenda because I was at the head of it. Right. Yeah. And you, you kept it neutral. Right. I mean, when I went to school and I studied, I think, I think I took one journalism class or something that had to do with that, with news. And I remember, um, they gave a, they gave, they taught me a criteria. It was kind of probing you to see if you would pop up that criteria. But of, lo and behold, you know, there's a huge difference between real life and what they teach you in school. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, you know, they, the, the, the criteria was, you know, always, you know, be neutral and fair. Right. Um, you know, but is it relevant? Is it timely? Um, and I can't remember the rest of it, but it was, it, there was like this, you know, like five things for well, something to be newsworthy. Sure. And I think that we're not far apart on that. I think that I boil those words down to one word and that's interesting. And, right. and to me, interesting is relevant and is compelling. Okay. And it is timely. And it is timely. Um, if something's not timely, then it's not compelling. Right. If something's not relatable, it's not compelling. Relatable. Okay. Um, so I think, I think all of that falls, all of those criteria fall under the compelling banner would, mm-hmm. would, would be my take yeah. on that. And I don't think we're saying anything in opposition here. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, back in the day, right. Where, when, when you were doing your role there, I think the, the choices for media outlets, like you mentioned earlier, you, you said, you know, phones hadn't become what they are now. So when you would look at the media landscape, it was fairly simple. It was, there were these radio stations and they had news directors that decided what went on the air and what didn't. Same thing with TV stations, same thing with newspapers. There was somebody that was filtering and deciding what, what was going to be put out. Um, and, and the world received that information and it affected their feelings and thoughts and, you know, the world function. And we, we went about now with the internet, there's all kinds of content, anybody and everybody, me included, little old me, just set up something and, you know, uh, there's all these YouTubers, all these TikTokers, there's like anybody can now be a content producer mm-hmm. and they can just put out whatever they want out there. And then now the people are choosing the information that they're looking to seek out and consume. And the world's going to hell. yes let's not i was i have a client that offers a solution for school shootings it's a it's a called clear armor it's a window it's a glass vinyl that makes glass bulletproof Mm -hmm. and um my husband and i were briefly discussing when did school shootings start what the hell is that what the hell? I don't remember ever going to school. It never even crossed my mind. Like I never, ever, ever was concerned that somebody was going to come in and shoot. It just didn't. And then my husband's from Newark, New Jersey. So he was like, well, you speak for yourself. You know, you grew up in Puerto Rico. That's very different. Like I was in Newark, New Jersey. And, you know, we, we had, um, we had, uh, uh, you know, those scanner, like those, uh, you know, scanner machines or whatever okay. in some of like the public the schools. Yeah. Okay. At the, at the public schools. So, I mean, and I, I never really saw that. Um, but do you have any thoughts on what's this insanity with 
with the shooting. I asked my husband, do you think it's video games? Because video games kind of came on the scene right at the same time. And of course, he got very defensive. He's a huge gamer. So he was like, no, that makes no sense. But I, you have to ask I, yourself, I don't, what changed? Something I, changed. I don't think it's any one thing. Okay. Um, I think the rate of divorce contributed over the years. Um, I think video games have contributed. I think um, probably I would put at the top of uh, the top of the heap, um, social media, um, which has produced the antithesis of its original goal. Its original goal was to bring people together. And I think we saw a lot of the good aspects of that during COVID when most of us were in some form or fashion of lockdown. Yeah. Okay, that that was the only way you were going to talk to your parents halfway across the country or or whatever. Okay, um, but I think that it has produced some of the most rancid isolation, um, rejection, hate, resentment, um, and it takes these problems and just blows them up. Okay, to the point where people get beside themselves if they see somebody they went to high school with got married and you have to look at all the pretty pictures and they are going to Paris for their honeymoon. And, and, and people just seethe over that. They don't go good on them. They, they're yeah, like, they don't deserve that. Yeah, and I'm sitting here still living with my parents cause I can't get right. a decent job. Okay. Um, and, and this sounds anecdotal, but it's really not, this is happening all the time. So you've got that. You've got the fact that, that mental health has Programs have been sl sliced to smithereens, mm -hmm. okay, by federal, local, state governments all across the country. Um, and I think that our talk radio did not help, okay. Um, Rush Limbaugh, up until his dying day, all right, was was pounding conspiracies and lies not not only those first brought up in the in the 2020 election, but I mean, um, you know, he had he had people thinking Hillary Clinton murdered somebody even ten years ago. Okay, just weird stuff. And people used to have enough sense and enough faith in their own fact collection to dismiss this stuff, like you just did, like to just chuckle it off. And because most of us like just laughed it off, two things happened. First of all, um, it didn't grow too big too fast because everyone was laughing it off. But also by laughing it off, we didn't nip it in the bud. Right. Um, I think also uh, like not just school shootings, but the case of the young black man who accidentally knocked on the wrong door. Oh, just and in the past older, month, we've had like four of those. This older gentleman shoots him mm -hmm. twice. Right. And, and not all of this has been about race. That one clearly was. Okay, but there was a girl in upstate said, yeah, New York. Said, yeah, he said he was scared. He said that he, th he thought it was being mugged. Okay, so so here's the thing. Well, I'm, let me circle back around to that. Okay, but you also then had a, a white 20-year-old woman who pulled into the wrong driveway in upstate New York. Not in the south, in upstate New York. And she was killed. All right, the the own the owner of the home came out and just blew her away. How many times have we all done that? 
you just you go down the street the wrong way, so you pull in somebody's driveway to turn around and go Wasn't the other there way. A girl that got in the wrong car. I did that the other day. Yes. I drive. I my mommy car is like a, your average run of the mill baseline Chevy Equinox. There's like one in there. There's like probably five in this parking lot right yep. here. And I went to go, and I I literally I was like, why is my door not opening? And mm-hmm. it was that's just so such a common normal right. Like what is wrong? I don't know. It's. I mean, I, I can't sit here and pretend to have all the answers, and I don't want to step on anybody's Second Amendment rights, but um, th- this doesn't happen anywhere but here. It just doesn't. And I'll just, I guess that's where I would let it sit right now and ruminate in the minds of all the people who don't want to do anything mm-hmm. and who want to say it's all about mental health. Well, you know what? Japan's got mental health problems. Sweden's got mental health problems. We don't have a higher level of mental health issues in this country. What we have is a higher number of guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think too easy access to guns. Way yeah. too easy. But the problem is if you start, and okay, so now I'm going to talk out the other side of my mouth. If you make any more laws or rules about them, they're not going to get fouled and the bad guys are always going to get a gun. And if you want to kill somebody, nothing's going to stop you. Okay. Um, I don't understand though why there's not a national red flag law. Okay. What's that? The And Florida actually has it and it was passed by Rick Scott when he was governor, but it, Republican governor, Republican uh, uh, state legislature. Red flag laws are when you can, it's, it's sort of like a Baker Act thing in Florida. Um, if you think someone is a danger to themselves or others, you can have their guns confiscated for 72 hours while a court rules on. on. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, and it's important because in almost every single one of these mass shooters um you then hear you know the mother thought he was nuts the mother didn't think he should have guns this that or the other thing it's it's very delicate when you're near somebody that is that is off their rocker Mm -hmm. and there's a part of you that wants to get involved and there's another part of you that is afraid that your involvement is just going to make things worse right it's it's difficult you know i've never I was, I was the victim of a robbery one time and thought I was going to get killed, but other, I mean, I was in college. Okay. I I worked at a gas station and some guy came in and, excuse me, stuck a gun in my face and I had to lay down on the floor and I thought, you know, it was lights out. But anyway, um, but in my adult life, I've never, I'm not around them. I don't own one. I don't mind that people do because the people I know are sane and normal and wouldn't like shoot first and ask later, but there's too many people that do. And then you've got these castle laws, these stand your ground laws that allow it. Okay. And so, so then you've got to go to court and figure out, well, if the old man was scared and thought he was going to get mugged, then some judges, verbal warnings first, not, no, you don't have to. Depends which state you're in, but no, you don't have to. But anyway, but 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 the point that I wanted to get to with that is I believe that that old man was scared, and I believe he thought he was going to get mugged. And that may give him standing in some courts. The problem with that, though, is was he only scared and worried about being mugged because the person he was looking at was black? 
So if you're if your bias, if your racist view is what makes you scared, then is it justifiable to be scared? If that's your only and and that's that's Did that make sense. Yes, okay. but it's almost impossible to prove. Right. And, it, and you know, and it may not be, and it may not be because the person, and this is, I'm just saying this generically, it may not be because they were black or white or purple or red. Maybe it was the way that they were dressed. Maybe it was the way that he knocked on the door. You know, but, but it's like, it, what I, I still don't understand why George Zimmerman got off in the Trayvon Martin case. Okay. The kids walking down whatever with Skittles and iced tea and it was the hoodie that got him killed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, but I maintain like in that case, I think that this guy he, was the instigator. Like yeah. he was just, yeah, to me, it was Trayvon Martin who was acting out of self defense in, in trying to fend off Zimmerman. Zimmerman yeah. shoots Zimmerman him. Was- Zimmerman shoots him. Zimmerman claims self defense because the kid cracked his head on the sidewalk. Well, what did you want him to do? You're coming at him with a gun. To me, that was Trayvon Martin acting in self-defense, but we see how that went. So it's just, I don't know how black parents raise their kids. Anyway, I'd be scared to let them walk out the door. There's uh, my husband watches uh, Blackish, and mm-hmm. there was an episode where they were talking about having the talk with their son. Can you imagine? I mean, it's a, it's a it's it's a ridiculous conversation. It's a sad conversation to even have to have. And it's, I think, almost impossible. Not only is it um, impossible for a child to understand, but I think that that damages their brain in, term, in terms of how they view the world moving forward. Well, sure, forward. then they've got a chip on their shoulder. They got a chip on their shoulder. And, you know, sometimes, a lot of times, just having your a chip on your shoulder is what creates issues. Yep. Did you how- watch This Is Us? Yes, of course. Okay. Yes. Not all of it, but I got to the part, I think where Jack dies. And then I was like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> oh, that was pretty early on. You need to watch the whole thing. But, but that. It, oh, I'm sorry. That's not true. That's not true. No, I finally got to see how he died. Uh, but I did watch, I don't know how far I got, but I did watch okay, a lot well, of it. Well, Randall, Randall okay. runs into yes. these problems after a while. What was season one where, where he's got, he finds his real father, William. Yes. Okay. You know, later on in the series, he almost is resentful of having been adopted by white people. Mm-hmm. Okay, because they treated him differently, or he felt like they treated him differently, and that. So you know, you watch that show and you think, "Oh, how great that poor little kid got left off at the firehouse." Okay, and these people lost one of their babies and they adopt him, and you think, "Oh, how cute! Oh my God. How sweet! Oh my sweet. God! What a great story!" Yes. And then 37 years later, he's like, this has messed up my entire life. Okay. Because I didn't know who I was. And there's a piece of me missing that you could never give me and yada, yada, yada. And it's just the, the cynicisms and self doubt and the lack of trust and the feeling screwed is just so innate in, everybody that you have to just be so, so careful with it. And I guess I brought that up because it's like, even when you think you're doing the right thing, it can be taken the wrong way. 
Yeah. I had a college professor, Dr. Daniel Bagley, and he taught us, and I will never forget, I actually have it written down and I have my notes from college saved. I actually have a, a, a giant Tupperware box with like all of my- Oh, my, I wish my, I'd my, done that. Yeah. I have my notes from my gerontology classes and my old handwriting, which was very different than my than my handwriting now. But he he said to us, and I quote, almost nothing in life is personal. Almost nothing in life is personal. And I took that with me and I can't tell you how, what a great tool in my toolbox it's always been when, you know, someone cuts me off or somebody says something rude, whatever. My, my first thought is not, why did they do that to me? My first thought is, wow, they must be really stressed out and in a hurry. I bet they have a horrible boss that they're afraid is going to fire them yep. if they don't make it on time. At, and I'm not a saint, okay? I don't think that all the time. How there's times where I go where I'm I'm not cursing at them, you know, quietly going like, you know, calm down, like, you know, slow down. Um or when somebody says something that, you know, is rude or offensive or like you when I first met you and and you <laughs> and and I said blah 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 DJ and you said, "Huh? Stop you right there. It's it's talk show hosting." What a Never- horrible thing to be remembered by, but okay. No, it's not a horrible <laughs> No, it's not a horrible thing to be remembered by. It, what, what I thought when you said that was, oh crap, I'm not using the right terminology. I better get with the program. Let me write down the name of this so that I can be respectful towards the talk show hosts and not call them something that they're absolutely not. Thank you for correcting me so I don't sound like a dumbass walking around. But not everybody thinks that way. I've run into people that you correct them and they get offended. And like... I think it just depends on what kind of person you are. You know, do you, do you want to like be better or do better or know better? Or do you just want to have a chip on your shoulder and get offended by every little thing? Like that's your choice. Well, and I think more and more, and I think this is part of the ill, all the ills of the world. Everybody takes everything personally and everybody wants to be a victim or wants to play the victim. Okay. And, and I've, I've just, I've never seen anything like it. And we're careening in a very, very dark direction. And if people only understood that, I think everybody does everything that they say and do, it's all coming from inside of them, from Mm -hmm. what's inside, what's going on inside of them. So if I'm short with you, it's not because I don't like you. Maybe I'm not feeling well. Maybe, uh, Maybe I had a rough night. Maybe I'm going through a divorce. Maybe I'm struggling with feelings of feeling unloved or unwanted or not included. And I, you know, I just don't have the bandwidth to deal with you or to deal with anybody. Well, and it's interesting that you brought this up because I've, I've learned over the years, I same, I arrive at the same conclusion, but take a different path. I just decided it's very narcissistic and very egotistical of me to assume that your being in a bad mood has anything at all to do with me. Yes. Okay. It's that's, like, a, it's, like, that's a different route. It works just the same. Okay. I think as long as you, it's like, yes, I, and I, I that's justifiable. Yes. It's like people are allowed like, to be in a bad mood without having you in their head. Okay. Exactly. It's it has like, nothing to do with you. <laughs> Almost nothing in life is personal. No, that's great. I love that. That's mm-hmm. a nice, simple line. Yep. Dr. Daniel Bagley. I mean, I, I, I can't think of a, of a better note to end this um, on. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, this has for, been so much fun. Yeah. I mean, you are a legend. I know so many oh people God. love you and I'm sure, and I know you've taught and mentored and coached so many people uh, along your career and not just like ordinary people, but, you know, amazing people. 
uh, that have gone on to do great things <laughs> yeah. and, you know, be big deals. And I, and I know 970 WFLA was a very easy state. Well, it wasn't always easy, but in general, it was a pretty easy station to sell because you did, you did guard that customer, that customer experience, that listener experience and made it a really good one. And there were very few meetings that I would go on where my client would tell me I've never heard of 970. Sure. There were few networking events, few people that I met that they were looking at me like a, if they didn't know about 970, they had just moved into the market, like freshly moved into the market or they were very, very young. And, and so, you know, that just alone tells you, you know, the, the type of listenership base that you guys have you know built up over the years. And so just kind of circling back to the book, um, and, and that note about how you guys really protected the listening experience. And even if it meant bumping heads with sales sure. to protect the type of advertisers, because that did also affect the, the quality of the listening environment. Have you ever heard the, the expression putting ice cubes in a beer? Never. Okay. It's like this and I'll leave you with this. Okay. When you put ice cubes in a beer, at first, it's great because it makes the beer colder. You let it sit, though, for a little while, and you wind up with watered-down beer, mm -hmm. which nobody likes. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing if you allow the wrong programming, which would include allowing the wrong advertisements that go against brand. Mm -hmm. Pretty soon, you know, you may be making money right up front, right. but pretty soon the ratings get dragged down and nobody's making any money. Right. So it's a long-term versus short-term thinking. Exactly. Always play that long game. Yep. And that's the big takeaway. Absolutely. Thank you, Sue Trikas. Thank you. Hey, you made it to the end. So here are some more station imaging promos for Glenn Beck, Rush Limbaugh, and The Schnitt Show. From Minnesota, two high school students that were responsible for the I Heart My Vagina t-shirts... They've been kicked out of school, and they're happy. The Glenn Beck Program. They said, quote, we believe that we need to question authority. Here's what I believe, you 14-year-old snot-nosed. Sit down, shut, shut up, up, and take the T-shirt off. Weekdays at 9 a.m. You need to get back into school and study math. Glenn Beck. Only on 970 WFLA. The Glenn Beck Program. I did go to the doctor. He put me on Ritalin because he's like, you're riddled with ADHD. He closes the door and he says, listen, I do have to tell you, there are a couple of side effects. And I said, is it ED? And he said, no, actually, it's the opposite. And I'm immediate. Hello. Then the other side effect is weight. Wait, Wait a, a minute, minute here. here. It improves sexual fulfillment and it also makes you lose weight. This is a miracle drug. Will it help me grow hair? Glenn Beck. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Only on 970 WFLA. Somewhere deep in the Himalayan mountains. You've come seeking the path to enlightenment, yes? No. I just need to know if what Glenn and I have is truly love. If what you hear is love, then you are truly a sick and twisted freak. The Glenn Beck Program. Weekday mornings at 9. A simple yes-no would have sufficed. Only on 970 WFLA. So how about it, Kojak? You got a lady friend? The Glenn Beck Program. You want to celebrate Christmas, you have to at least recognize Jesus. Jesus.
You don't have to say he's the son of God, he's a savior. But if you're going to a light display, you should probably point out, yeah, that was the cat that started this whole thing. He dares to say what others only think. Toss in the menorah, whatever symbols they have for Kwanzaa or whatever. Glenn Beck. But you gotta give Jesus his props. Weekdays 9 to noon. I'm just saying. On News Radio 970, WFLA. You know what these clerics proved to me? An honest opinion. And I'm sure I'm going to hear about this, but I don't care. I always speak my mind. From the heart and mind of a real guy. These clerics just show me that you don't have to strap on a bomb to be a terrorist. If you have this mindset, you are a terrorist. I'm sorry. I don't care what your religion is. Naming a teddy bear after a prophet shouldn't get you thrown in jail. And then beaten to death, potentially, with 40 uh, freaking lashes. The Schnitz Show. Weekdays 3 to 6. And I'm sick of this crap. On 970. WFLA. Get this. Get real. We all know that I am talk radio. Get right. Documented to be almost always right 98.5% of the time. Get rush. The views expressed by the host of this program <laughs> rivet and glue the nation. The Rush Limbaugh Show. A man. Weekdays noon to three. A legend. On News Radio 970. A way of life. WFLA. WFLA. Have you felt unusually disoriented? Have things just not seemed right? You seem like you're a little bit more ignorant than you used to be. You're falling behind and keeping up with the news. Well, let me put it this way. Then you need the doctor of democracy. Precisely. The Rush Limbaugh Show. The aid for what ails you. Mark my words, folks. The cure for the common show. We cure ignorance. Weekdays noon to three on News Radio 970. WFLA. And now this is from my personal vault. This is uh, Jack Harris and Ted Webb, Sharon Taylor saying happy birthday to my dad. With traffic every 10 minutes on the 10s, Gary McHenry, 970, WFLA. AM Tampa Bay. News Radio 970. WFLA. Breakfast with your brain. Oh, yeah, that breakfast includes generous slices of quasi-journalism here as we cover everything from the the Byzantine to the banal. And today is a a major holiday celebrated in some places. Absolutely. This is National Francisco Valentin Day. Yes. And uh, he is the prince of uh, Puerto Rico. He is celebrating his 45th birthday today. Again. Again he is. And he happens, <laughs> Francisco happens to be the dad of Nicole Valentine from our sales staff. He's got a, this is National Francisco Valentine Day on Tampa Bay. And he deserves it all, having raised a fantastic daughter. There is a major, major attraction. We were talking about the uh, Bellevue Biltmore, and really you ought to get over there and see it sometime. And this is Ted Webb wishing me a happy birthday, and Evan Brown, he's one of the, uh, he was a I have no idea what he's doing now, but he was back then a reporter on the news staff for 970 WFLA. AM Tampa Bay. News Radio 970 WFLA. Breakfast for your brain. 712 at 970 WFLA. The big word this morning is the weather, and that is fog. Heavy fog right now all around Tampa Bay. So if you're driving to school, uh, work, allot yourself a couple of extra minutes to get there. Don't forget to go to 970WFLA.com because it's got a little bit of everything that you could possibly want. And coming up soon, like in the next couple of days, if I can get Sharon over to the house, we're going to re-record her, and I'm going to put one of Sharon's songs up there called Nick of Time that she does a killer job on. Happy birthday to two of our own today. 
Eben Brown is celebrating a birthday from 970 WFLA News. I believe Eben is, what, 30 years old now? And Nicole okay. Valentine, Nicole Valentine from our sales department, turns 43 today. Oh, God. So, uh, <laughs> four, uh, maybe 44. 43 or 40. She looks great, but she's oh, just 43 or 44 years old today. Ted Webb, we miss you so much. Thanks for listening to Create Brand Envy. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. Brand Envy is an integrated marketing and advertising agency that helps brands innovate while maintaining their focus and identity. To learn more or to get in touch with Nicole, visit createbrandenvy.com. That's createbrand and the letters envy.com. We'll see you next time.